Acts chapter 4, an amazing story of how God works on earth. Our great God wants to work here in Minster, Ohio. And he's given us seven ways that he can use us to accomplish the plan and purpose that he has for this earth. And I pray that God will really use this message. Many of you are familiar with the story about the lame man being healed in chapter 3. But in chapter 4 it says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, and they put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word, what'd they do? They believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? But Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he's made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught by you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be, what? Saved. Saved. Now when they had saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest unto all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them, and they commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was the question, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? 
Many times what we do, we do for ourselves. Our lives are wrapped up in things, possessions, people. And often we come to the place in our lives where we find that there's not a lot of satisfaction in the things of this world. There's a reason for that. The Bible says man is never satisfied, and I think there's a good reason for that because our satisfaction really only comes through Jesus. Have you found that to be true? I mean, you buy nice things and they, they rust and ultimately become of no value. And uh, our own children and our grandchildren, and we, we seek to raise them for God, and yet sometimes they don't follow through the will and the plan of God as we believe it's written and as it's clearly delineated. What do we do in a case like that? Well, we must always do what God has commanded us to do. Amen. We're to always do what God wants us to do with joy in our hearts. We don't need to go around looking like we're not saved. I have met a few Christians that looked that way and I got nervous. It's pretty bad when people that call themselves Christians don't act like Christians and certainly don't walk with God. And I think that's something that Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy the effectiveness of our lives. He doesn't care that we go to church. He just doesn't want us to get anything when we go there. He doesn't care that we have a Christian home. Just don't live like a Christian. And this is the battle that's raging in our lives and in our hearts. But when it comes right down to it, we must ask ourselves the question, what is it that's most important for our lives, for our family, for our church, so that we can give God our very best, and one day when we stand before the Lord, I'd like to receive a full reward. I don't want to go before the Lord empty-handed. I don't want to come to the end of my life and say, I wish I had given Him more. Oh, may God help us to realize that we only have one life to live. Don't live it for yourself. Live it for Jesus. And boy, I want to tell you, here's a story in the Scripture that reveals seven things that ought to be in every church that preaches the gospel, a church of born-again believers. And every one of these truths ought to be so ingrained in our family and in our lives that people would have no doubt who we are what we're about, and what we desire for this world in our generation. I can't worry about the generations of the past, but I have a responsibility to reach my generation, your generation, and may God help us to do that. In chapter 1, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is given and his admonitions to his apostles. In chapter 2, we find Pentecost. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In chapter 3, we find the first apostolic miracles and Peter's second sermon there in chapter 3. In chapter 3, we find that man, that impotent man, healed so that he could walk, and he's walking and leaping and praising God. In chapter 4, we find the first persecution against the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. 
And I want you to notice here, number one, and I would like you to write these things down. If we're going to have God's commendation and God's blessing upon our life and upon our family and upon our church, we must have, first of all, fearless preaching. Write that down, would you, in the flyleaf of your Bible there? Fearless preaching. Now, I want to tell you, God never called women to preach, but boy, they sure know how to share. Amen. Preach it, brother. Share it, sister. Amen. Right. Good. I like that. Amen. I like it when people say amen. You can even say, oh, me. It wouldn't bother me a bit. I like it when I'm preaching and getting people's attention. Amen. The point of what I want to make here is that they were involved in fearlessly proclaiming the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the power of God came upon Peter and John as they were going into the temple and they were going there to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And they saw that man and they, uh, they, he asked, was asking for alms. And they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give we thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately the miracle of healing came upon that man and he stood and he went walking and leaping and praising God. Let me tell you something. Whenever Christ is exalted, yeah. things happen. Yeah. Things happen when Jesus Christ is revealed and proclaimed. You'll see that, and we read that just a moment ago in verses 1 through 12. And you'll notice there in verse 10 where it says, Be it known unto you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, notice the phrase, whom ye, what? Crucified. He was not afraid to boldly and fearlessly proclaim the truth about these people. They hated Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, folks. This world is no friend of Jesus Christ. To be a friend of the world is that you, you are the enemy of God. And what does the Bible say about enemies? Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you and persecute you. The truth is, we have such a loving Savior that He loves the unlovely. He loves the unredeemed. He loves the souls of men out there that need Jesus Christ. And who better to take the message to them than we that know Jesus Christ ourselves? Fearless preaching. Now, we proclaim. That word preach means to proclaim. So every one of us ought to be proclaiming the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want you to notice the fruitful living. Write those words down. The fruitful living. If you'll go with me to verse 13... They made it clear that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. He's talking about Jesus there. Now notice verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And behold, the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. You ought to underline that phrase. They could say nothing against it. For when 
Notice, for when they had commanded them to go outside, uh, aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For they indeed, a notable miracle hath been done by them, is manifest to all uh, them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Notice their fruitful living. It's interesting that they insulted them at first. Now, Christians, you're going to get insulted once in a while. Notice what they said to them. They said of them, you're unlearned and you're ignorant men. (laughs) Hey, let me tell you something. I'd rather be unlearned and I'd rather be ignorant in the eyes of the world than to be dumb and on my road to hell. Unlearned and ignorant men. But then they turned right around and complimented them. But they took knowledge of them that they had been with who? The divine healer, Jesus Christ. Oh, to be connected with Christ is where it's at. You want a fruitful Christian life? Get connected with Christ and stay as close as you can. Jesus Christ will never disappoint you. Now you think about that for a minute. I've been disappointed by many people. But Jesus has never failed me one time. And when they said they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus, they got the message. However unlearned and ignorant they may have been in the eyes of the religious theologians of the day, they noticed that there was something about them that was different and it was something that they could not stand against. Now I want to tell you something greater is the Lord Jesus than he that's in the world. The devil seems to be taking ground he shouldn't be taking, even within churches. Ground that should never be taken by the devil. And yet God is greater than the devil. It all depends on what you think of God. Your degree of love for God will determine your hatred for the devil. Did you hear me? As you love the Lord, you will despise the plan and the work of the wicked one. And may we come to the place in our lives where we realize that if we are identified with Jesus Christ, we win. Fruitful living. What a testimony these people had. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity covereth a multitude of sins. The, blood, the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from almost every sin, Right? No, it says that it covers us from all sin. There's no sin that God can't forgive if you're willing to confess it. Amen. We must come to that place in our lives where we realize that our lives must be fruitful. If they are not fruitful, we cease to influence our generation. And may God help us with that. Number three. We see a firm standing, a firm standing there in verses 17 and following. So they threatened them. They, they did not like the fact of what they were doing, and they threatened them and told them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. But in verse 17, but that 
It spread no further among the people. Let us straightway threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his this name. And they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. I think that's a tremendous answer. They took a firm stand. They were told they were not to mention Jesus anymore. They threatened them. And they said, well, who should we believe? Who should we follow, you or God? Boy, what a statement. You talk about a firm stand. Those men could have taken Peter and John and killed them. He could have just sent them out to the mob and they would have destroyed them. They weren't afraid to take a stand, a firm stand. Did you know we must take a firm stand? I was over in Alaska visiting my brother-in-law, and there was a man that came by that lived in, in, in a cottage not far from uh, the excursion inlet where we were staying with my brother-in-law. And uh, he was a Jewish man, a very intelligent, well-educated man. And he came to, our, uh, to eat with us that night. And he said, you know, your, your brother-in-law told me that you're one of those fundamental Baptists. And he didn't say that with love and affection, okay? And um, I said, yeah, you're right. He goes, well, I have a question for you. Now, this is a hard question. He said, now, I'm Jewish. And uh, he said, I've not accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Do all Jews that have not accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, are they going to go to hell? Man, what do you say? How can, I, how can I dance around that one? I said, you're absolutely right. That's what the Bible says. And we witnessed to him for over an hour and a half. Anne gave her testimony how she got saved out of Roman Catholicism. I told about how I got saved when I was 14 years old when my father said, Daniel, I've never seen any indication that you're really saved. He got my attention and I got saved that day. We talked about, about, uh, about the Jews and how the Old Testament, you know, uh, the blood of the animals was, a, was an atonement for the sins of the people and, and how Jesus was the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, I explained it all to him. I gave him the gospel plan of salvation in intricate detail. And then my wife, she's so faithful, she hands me some tracts to give him, like I didn't say enough, right? <laughs> Amen. So she took, I, I gave these tracts to him. She put two or three of them in there. And he went back to his cottage that night. Well, the next morning I see him coming back and I go, oh man, am I in trouble now. And he comes walking in there, you know, and he looked at me. He said, I read those tracks, and I was ready for fireworks, amen? He said, you are doing a good work. Mm. Mm. Amen. I said, you just complimented me. He said, I know. You are. I said, you are going to get saved. <laughs> amen. Amen. And he didn't say, no, I'm not. He just had to leave. I'm still praying for Bob to get saved. Pray for Bob, would you? I told him, 
I told him that, that Jesus Christ is the only way. And you know, after we, our last time we talked, before we left, he said, you know, there was a reverend that was out here in Excursion Inlet that told me that salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. Amen. How about that? Amen. So many people think if I'm religious or if I've been baptized or if I go to church, I'm going to get to heaven. You don't get to heaven by doing something that you think is good. You get to heaven by what Jesus did for you. It's not what you can do. It's what Christ has done. And I want to tell you, that was a firm stand that these men took. We're going to obey God. We're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God rather than men. The Bible says if men please men, they cannot please God. And though it's so important for us to take a firm stand, and they took that firm stand. Number four, they had a faultless testimony. Now you think about that. A faultless testimony. Wouldn't that be something if I could interview all of the people that know you and they could tell me what you're really like? Would they say something about Christ when your name comes up? Do you have a faultless testimony? Or are you living in such a way that people would say, I didn't even know they were a Christian? You know what's going to happen? You're going to get up to heaven if you're saved. And you're going to be walking down the streets of gold and you're going to look at somebody coming your way and you're going to recognize them and say, you made it? I didn't think you were saved. We said, well, I, I didn't think you were either. We did a pretty sorry job down there on earth concealing Christ and not letting anybody know that he's real and that he lives in our hearts. Oh, may God give us boldness to have a faultless testimony. Amen. Notice with me in verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing. There it is, the faultless testimony. These men had a faultless testimony for Christ, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. A faultless testimony. You know, I'd like it when people see me, they would say, that person's concerned about my soul. Wouldn't that be good? Why hide it? When people see a track from Calvary Chapel Baptist Church, they had to go, if I ever decide I'm going to get saved, this is where I'm going. Because these people have got it down. Amen. And you know what? Don't let one bad apple spoil the whole bunch. Do you understand that? Don't let the sin of one hinder your ability to serve God effectively and be useful to God. Here's the problem. You know what happens? Let's pretend that God's up there where that picture is. And you've got, you've got the pulpit area here. And then you've got, you've got me. I'm a Christian. Okay? Now, if I let a hypocrite And a bad testimony caused me to not get to God. That's one of the foolish things in this world. Nothing should ever come between you and God. Don't use hypocrites as an excuse to stay away from God. Don't allow circumstances of life that you thought were wrong. Don't let them keep you from getting to where God is. 
I always say, get around the hypocrite. Put the hypocrite behind you. Forget about the hypocrite. They're going to stand before God and give an account for their life. But I want Jesus. I want His power. I want His use. I want to be useful to God. I don't want to be sitting around. Hey, what's everybody doing? Yeah. Get your eyes off people. Get your eyes on Jesus. And you'll never be disappointed. I can't say that there's ever been a time that I've been disappointed with my Lord. How about you? Mm. Oh, may God help us to have that faultless testimony. Number five, they had fervent prayer. Oh, I love this in verse 23. And being let go, they, were, they, were, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voices, notice now, to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. But of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thine hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. I want you to notice the fervent prayer. While Peter and John are in prison, the church has gathered to pray for them. And as soon as they get away from jail and they get away from those that were threatening, where did they go? They went to their own company. <laughs> they went to the Believers, the other believers. You know, there's nothing greater than a church that is united. A family united, excited about the things of God. They went to their own company. And what's the first thing that happens? They start praying. They did not pray to be delivered from their enemies. They, they, prayed, not, not, they, they prayed so that God would give them strength over their enemies. They, they didn't go into hibernation and say, well, you know, these people don't want us to tell about the Lord, so we'll keep our mouths shut. No, no, we're going to make the message clear. We're going to pray and ask God to help us. And they didn't complain about the persecution that had come upon them. And the Bible tells us in chapter 4, verse 32, would you turn there with me? And the multitude of them which believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which they possessed was their own, but they had all things common and with great power gave the apostles what? Witness. Number six, they were faithful witnesses. Write that down. Number six, faithful witnesses. They proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ to a people that desperately needed Christ. This community needs Christ. There isn't a community in the world that doesn't need Christ. You see, there's so many churches. Yeah, and a lot of churches are doing nothing to reach the lost. And what's sad is when our own churches don't do anything to reach the lost. 
never carry gospel tracts, never talk about your faith, never share your testimony. How in the world can we do anything on earth for God's glory if we don't witness? We ought to act like Christians. We ought to conduct ourselves in a way that we are concerned about others. Amen. We went over to this 127, that big, how many went to the big sail up and down? Is it 127? How many went? Raise your hand if you went and did that. Wasn't that fun? I got a couple nice things. My wife called me up to see if I would want a, a nice little thing to shine my shoes for $2. I said, yeah, go ahead and get it. She gets more than that in her allowance. I don't know why she called me about it. But, <laughs> but man, I'm witnessing to people out there. If I'm going to go somewhere, why not just witness and yeah. give out some gospel tracts and talk yeah. to some people? I mean, really. I mean, take advantage of the opportunity that God puts your way. And you know that you'll get a reputation of saying, you know, if I ever want to get saved, I'm talking to that guy right there. He's concerned about my soul. That woman, she loves the Lord. That woman prays for me. Oh, there's something precious about that. We must be faithful witnesses of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Hey, I get nervous with people that don't want to share their faith. I wonder if they really got faith. If you possess it, you ought to want to share it. And people ought to know that you are concerned about their soul. Be a faithful witness. And then in closing, number seven, they made financial sacrifices. I want you to notice with me there in verse 34, they, they took care of those that had need. They provided for one another. They laid down their gifts at the apostles' feet and distribution was made to those that had need. And you know what? I believe it's going to cost us something to serve our Lord. You know, David, when he went to make a sacrifice unto the Lord, he went to the thrashing floor that a man owned. And he said to the man, I want to have a sacrifice here. And he said, go ahead. He said, no, I'm going to pay you for it because I don't want to... I don't want to do something that costs me nothing. Listen, it ought to cost us to serve the Lord. Amen. You support missionaries. It costs you monthly to send those missionaries the money they need to do the work of God that they've been called to do. The light bill here, the needs of this ministry, it takes the tithes and offerings to take care of that. But listen, we're not giving just because we have to. We give because we are absolutely in love with the Lord. I'm not giving to Fair Park Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, where Pastor Kevin Heimer's the pastor. That's the church I'm a member of. I don't give to them. I give it to my God. And through that local church, they are reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't you want to have a part in that? Don't you want to see God use you to help reach somebody else for the Lord? A financial sacrifice, sending kids off to camp, doing things uh, to, uh, to beautify and make this ministry all it can be, but more than anything else, saying, I want to give my life as a sacrifice for your work on earth. Oh, may God help us to do this. These are seven things that ought to be a part of our fiber, a part of our life, something that we all do for one reason, that God in all things may get the glory.
Let's pray together.